This, this is the dugout every Tuesday at one with Bump and Stacy. Inside access to the clubhouse from Shannon Dreyer on Seattle Sports, the home of the Mariners. Welcome to the dugout every Tuesday, right here, one to two. Usually I have Stacey Ross with me. Today I got my man Mike Lefko, and now we are joined by Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer. Shannon, how you doing? Doing pretty well. This is kind of baseball heaven. Sitting, <laughs> oh, about 25 rows up behind home plate talking to you guys <laughs> at Fenway Park. <laughs> awesome. Is, uh, is Fenway one of, your, one of your favorite places to visit? It is. Um, and, you know, it's obviously just one of the gems of, of Major League Baseball stadiums, the history that's here. I also spent some time when I was very young on the East Coast, so we came here uh, when I was a little kid, so I have those memories as well, and it really hasn't disappointed as an adult either. Hey, Shannon, what's the thing that uh, the players got to do yesterday? Were they signing the inside of the Green Monster? Yeah, that's um, a, a tradition in baseball, and everybody I've signed inside the Green Monster. Oh, that's nice. uh, If you're in baseball, you're invited to come out there and sign the wall, and uh, there were seven players with Mariners who had never been here before. So they all went out, and even some that had been here before went out as well. Shannon, when you look at this matchup with the uh, the Boston Red Sox, you get a 10-1 win last night, a great performance, obviously hard to duplicate. Um, what are going to be the keys here? Is it as simple as Kyle going yard from both sides of the plate, or are there anything <laughs> anything else these guys can do to, to hang in there? Get greedy and do what you did yesterday. I mean, it wasn't just Cal going yard and Suarez going yard. You had guys up and down the lineup. I mean, they had a season-high 15 hits. That three walks to that, they got on base. They had better plate appearances, and they took advantage of some not very good pitching. And there have been times, you know, they did well against Colorado and they did well against Oakland, but there have been other teams that have had some offenses where they've had the opportunity to do damage against a four or five, a lesser pitcher, and they haven't. And now we're starting to see that a little bit more. We saw it in Detroit, and just keep going with that. And I think they're starting to find their approach, which helps home runs, obviously help the confidence that you get with that. And I just think it's a big thing to come in here. This is a place they had not won a series here since 2014. So if they win tonight, it's kind of a big deal. They haven't swept. I don't even want to tell you how long it's been since they've swept a three-game series in this ballpark. So I would start to get greedy. You put a lot of runs on the board. Everybody is feeling good right now. It's pretty funny. A lot more guys out for early hitting today because they were feeling good. So that was good to see. You definitely have the advantage in pitching. So stay with that approach. Go for it. And don't be intimidated by this building. Well, Shannon, speaking of uh, feeling good, Cal Raleigh. Wow. That feat that he did, and I know uh, it's been making the rounds that it's the first catcher ever to hit from both sides of the plate to go to go along in that 112-year history of that ballpark. Is there something about his family being there that makes him perform well? It seems like he has his big games uh, when his family members are in attendance. But how, how special was that for Cal to do that with his family there? It was incredibly special, and it was incredibly special for him to do it with Jason Veritek in the other dugout. You know, that was his guy. That was He was a fan of him growing up, and he's had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times now that he's in the game. I'm not appreciating them turning up the music here at all right now. I hope that's not too bad. But, um, you know, I'm starting to think Cal has got a flair for the dramatic. He's got some of the biggest home runs in Mariner history, obviously ending the streak and breaking the streak and ending the drought and then in Toronto in the playoffs and then going back and doing it again in Toronto. Of course, he's going to get into Fenway Park with his grandma on the stands and Jason Veritek in the other dugout. 
and hit two home runs. Shannon, the lineup is out, and we have Julio and Kelnick in the three and the four spot. Um, I look at this lineup, and I go, Shannon, on paper, I feel good one through seven. Um, when you see the lineup in the way that it is right now, you think this is what the M's want, or would they prefer to have some of their stars in other places? I think ultimately you'd like to get Julio back into that number one spot and get J.P. Crawford back to number nine. Not that J.P. is a nine hitter, but he... Uh, does whatever it takes to get on base and, and can be there when Julio is going good. You don't want JP also always to kind of be your fireman and kind of hopping into the spot where you most need it. So I think it's close and, you know, very well might be what you're talking about right now. But I think ultimately when they're going good and they have everybody hitting, like if Teoscar is kind of more the power Teoscar, if Suarez's bat comes around a little bit more, then that will enable you to get Julio back to that number one spot. Shannon, I can't believe we've gone this long and haven't mentioned George Kirby yet because what he did last night was remarkable again, and now this is back-to-back starts against two of the better lineups in the American League, and he's just locked them down. I mean, are we are we starting to see really the makings of a special pitcher here in Kirby? I think we've been watching it since he hit the big leagues. He's really remarkable in what he does. And, you know, I think the team feels it and they feed off of it, too. I was in the park and there was a good amount of national media here yesterday. And one of them comes up to me and said, he was my pick for the Cy Young this year. And I had a hard time kind of figuring out, is it too soon for that? Uh, That sounds kind of outrageous. But, yeah, in the end, I went with him as my pick for the Cy Young because of the stuff that he has. Well, it's not just the stuff. He has the attitude out there. You see him. You see him get mad when he walks somebody. You see him mad when he's pulled out of a game. Uh, It's, you know, he is without question a competitor. And I tweeted it out last night. I mean, I had to do everything I could to stop myself from laughing when we were talking to him after the game. He was a little bit surly after the game. You know, you got the wind. I think he was annoyed by the walk, and he admitted he didn't want to come out of the game as soon as he did, but understood why. And then he was asked, you know, you're facing such a lefty-heavy lineup. How did that play into a uh, lefty-heavy fastball-hitting lineup? How did that play into how you prepared for this game and the pitches that you were going to use? And the question kind of basically was, why would you throw so much fastball? And he said, I've got two good fastballs. Why wouldn't I throw them? <laughs> All right. A lot of confidence there. And it, it's been a lot of fun to watch. He, uh, I think he has just passed the full one year. Uh, in, in the big leagues, and I, I don't think there are a lot of questions left to be answered by him. Man, Shannon, I love the the young talent and demeanor. And I look at this starting rotation, and I look at a guy like Luis Castillo, and I think, man, having him had to have calmed these guys down a bit. But now I flipped it. I go, it has to be refreshing for Luis Castillo to see, look, I got four other guys who got my back. What do you think that does for Castillo when he's on the mound? be interesting because when was the last time he had to be challenged a little bit you know it's like when you're handing off the ball to the other and everybody's had the good outing his stuff there is no question about it is is elite he's got four pitches that are just nightmares but he's had that one moment in his last few starts where he kind of i don't know if it's losing focus sometimes it was after an error sometimes it was after a walk and the next thing you know the ball's in the middle of the plate and it gets hit out so uh, i think that you know he knows what happens and why that happens but also he is a guy with great pride and he wants to be the leader of this rotation so i think it's very interesting that rather than him giving the push right now 
perhaps he's getting a little push from the young guys as well, and I think that's great. They all work well together. Uh, there's nothing better than watching a rotation. Yeah, there is actually watching a lineup handoff. But to watch your rotation, and we see it from time to time where every guy goes out and has a quality start or puts zeros up or you have that streak. It's really fun to see day to day when that happens. Well, Bump and I were kind of joking. Like, we wonder what their group text message is like and if they have a name for it. But on a serious note, I mean, you are around these guys every day. Does it feel like there's a great camaraderie around this starting rotation? And they do kind of push each other in that friendly spirit of rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just been the bullpen's part of it, too. They they have their own, but they all kind of come together. Uh, it, it's gone on for a long time, but they watch each other's bullpen. And it's something that they all do together. If somebody is throwing a bullpen, they all go out to watch it. And they talk, and they consult on things. And they really pull for each other. And you do see on the off chance of one of them has a bad game, you'll usually see one of the others come and sit next to them and talk to them a little bit during the game. You know, they are a unit as a rotation, and they've been pretty tight-knit for a while. And anytime anybody new comes in, well, they kind of get the pro- on the program pretty quickly. They understand it. Shannon, when, um, when you travel to the East Coast, you mentioned there was some national media there. It feels like people are starting to catch on uh, to the potential of what's going on with the Mariners. What is it like with the opposing team and the opposing players? Is there a different kind of respect for the Mariners now? Uh, at different times, there are. Um, you heard quite a bit, and it could be the broadcasters that you're talking about, too. For every now and then, an opposing player, in fact, there was a very prominent Houston Astro last year who said some things completely off the record about this team, very favorable things about this team to me, which was kind of uh, cool to hear. But you do hear it sometimes from the coaches. And it's funny because there were a lot of expectations that were on this team coming into the season, and they came short out of the gates. And so that spotlight that was there that was at the beginning was beginning to fade. I don't know if it's starting to get turned up right now or if it's just because we're in Boston. You go into Boston, it's different. You go into New York, it's different. You go into almost any of the East Coast cities because, you know, it's like the worst drive you might have to any of them. It's like driving to Spokane. People will come out and, and, and check out teams if you're a national guy. But you do hear it from the other side sometimes, and it's kind of shifted from originally it was your lineup's going to be fine, and you've got a heck of a lineup. We were hearing a lot of that early. And that was based on what they did last year and then the additions that they made, particularly with Teoscar Hernandez and Colton Wong, that there's a lot of respect for the game that he had. So we actually heard more from the other side about the lineup early in the season, and now it's just like it's the pitching. Good luck. You're not given much of a chance with this pitching. Shannon, earlier you mentioned to us uh, about getting greedy, about the importance of coming out and building off of last night's performance. With Atlanta looming and how good they've been, and with a guy like Nick Pavetta on the mound, it looks like you know he has given up a lot this season. There, there will be opportunities for hits and for runs from this Mariners lineup. Does today take on some added importance to yeah carry over what they did yesterday? It shouldn't. I mean, you should ride what you did yesterday and not kind of think about this is any other game than any game that you want to go out and win. And you know, I think that when we talk about what you're talking about and what I'm talking about, wanting to see them beat the Nick Pavettas of the world. That's kind of more our commentary than it is theirs. So it would be good. They have not done particularly well in rubber matches of series, so I would just assume they come out and get this one tonight, especially with Atlanta coming or coming up. 
and give yourself that opportunity to get that sweep in Boston, which rarely happens. And you really head into Atlanta with some momentum. But I think the biggest thing is, is just try and, and keep that approach that you had at the plate last night. Keep that feeling that you had at the plate. Keep kind of the, the you know, ability to wait for the mistake that's in the middle of the plate and not miss it and go from there. I think that actually as good as George Kirby was yesterday and as dramatic as the home runs were that Cal Raleigh hit, I think the biggest takeaway was was you did have those good at-bats up and down the lineup multiple times in that game, and that's what's most important for the long term right now. That's the corner that you need to see them turn, and they haven't. They've gotten to the corner a couple of times. Now they need to get safely around that corner. It'll take some time before you know for sure that the offense is really kind of clicking and they're following kind of the approach that they want them to. But last night was a good step in the right direction. We talked about the lineup. What about this uh, this pitching matchup? We talked about Luis Castillo as well. Tell us about Nick Pavetta and the opportunity the Mariners have against this young man. He's having a really rough season right now. You know, he's coming off a terrible outing against Atlanta, and it's it's one of those starters that you just really shouldn't have a problem with. And we've seen them at times go out there and make some guys look like Cy Young who don't have the numbers coming in. The one thing that will be a little bit different about the Veta is that he's a little bit more known. Most of them have seen him before, and so perhaps that gives you a chance. He's watched a lot of guys this year so again that goes back to approach be on the alert for that but if you see your pitch by all means swing shannon uh, i can't believe we're about to let you go without me asking you this so i will we now live in a world where ty france is a speedster and had what <laughs> i mean he should have been given a triple i know i know it's not really a triple but with his uh with his double that then turned into three bases yesterday what was the reaction uh, in the clubhouse after that one Unfortunately, I wasn't in the clubhouse afterwards, but you could tell in the dugout that yeah. they were jumping up and down. And just, uh, you know, to be able to actually see it myself, I was—I just tweeted out, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and then you saw the throw, and he was in at third. It's a lot of fun. He's not a speedster. He knows it. Everybody in that dugout knows it. So they, without a doubt, would give him a hard time about that. She is Shannon Dre, our Mariners insider. We appreciate you, Shannon. Enjoy the game tonight. You got it, guys. All right. Shannon always with that fire. You need info on these Mariners? We go to Shannon Dreher, but right now it's time for MLB headlines. Let's do it. Going around the majors. If I had to ask you a question, I said, you know what, Lefko? Pick the one stadium that draws the smallest crowds in Major League Baseball. What stadium, what team would you point out? Oh, because the Mariners are just there. (laughs) Oakland. (laughs) Oakland. Oakland. Last night, the Oakland A's had 2,064 people show up to the game. The smallest crowd since 1979. Nobody in this building that are these two offices that we're in were born that year. And that's 2064 announced. announced. You know, teams always inflate their numbers. Oh what gosh. what stadium, what arena hasn't said like, yeah, we got about 12,000, even though it looks like five, because you count sweet tickets yeah. sold. You count uh-huh. season tickets sold. You count all that. So for the A's to announce that, I guarantee you there were 30 people there oh, on a Monday man. night against the Diamondbacks. Oh, man. I mean, the crowd against the Mariners wasn't great. That was a midweek series. But who would go watch this team at this point? Which it, it is sad. I mean, we can we can laugh at that of 
Okay, crowd size. Haha, that's funny. It's sad for the diehards, for the fan base there in Oakland, and especially because they're about to lose another team. That city's going to go from three pro sports teams to none. Oh, so man. that's where it is, unfortunate. But yeah, that's it's almost a comical figure at this point where you're announcing 2,000 fans. There probably were about 30 there. And here's the thing. The Diamondbacks aren't bad this year. Second in the West, 24 and 18. But you look at the A's, man, 9 and 34. Negative 160 when it comes to run differential. Like you said, I feel bad. I know people who grew up in Oakland who are from Oakland, and I feel horrible for them. Raiders are gone. A's are about to leave. Uh, the Warriors went over the bridge and went to San Francisco. It's tough in Northern California, man. I feel for those Have guys. you seen what uh, MLB is doing? And some eagle-eyed observers on Twitter have noticed this. What's so that? when Major League Baseball is posting highlights from the A's ballpark, uh-huh. there's a passionate group of fans that are out in the outfield holding up big signs that are criti- criticizing the owner. It says, sell the team. Uh-huh. So the way the camera shots pan out there, you know, if you have a pretty wide shot, you can see that sign. Well, on the highlights that are getting posted... Major League Baseball is cropping up. So they get rid of that sign. So they're cropping out. So they move the screen up a little bit and they crop out that sign that says sell the team. And all of a sudden you just have a little bit of a tighter shot on the stands oh, of the man. home run balls. Yeah, someone pointed that out a couple weeks ago. The most right? Might have been during the Mariners series. The yeah, where there are there. probably like 50 fans in one section. <laughs> and you might have your own section everywhere else in the park. But yeah, they're cropping out signs on MLB's official highlights pages to get rid of those uh, critici- criticisms of the owner. Tough times in Oakland. Mm. Aaron Judge hit two home runs against the Blue Jays, but the Toronto announcers thought he was acting a bit suspicious when he kept looking over to the dugout. A hilarious make a big deal out of nothing. (laughs) And teams, okay, I get it in a rivalry too. Any AL East team or, you know, any team within your own division, you're going to get a little more perturbed, a little more frustrated about your opponent. And so for Aaron Judge to have the game he did, he had two home runs, Mm -hmm. he walked three times. I'm amazed that the uh, the Blue Jays announcers were just outright accusing him of something during the game, during their broadcast, and that's why it became a story. So he's up in the eighth inning. Aaron Boone had just gotten ejected. So Judge is looking over there, and his eyes glance to the right a couple of times. And the Blue Jays announcers outright say, hey, well, what's he doing? That looks a little suspicious. He keeps glancing over to the dugout. They're like, I don't know if he's trying to look down at the catcher, if he's trying to find someone. But uh, lo and behold, Aaron Judge hit another home run. They weren't happy about it. The Blue Jays themselves even thought something was up. But just the the most minor little controversy. Anything you do in baseball turns into a big deal. And if he was getting tipped off, that's baseball. As long as they're not using video and banging on drums and doing this to win World Series, it's a bit different. Side note of Aaron Judge. I just realized my man is 30 years old already. It's happened so fast with Aaron Judge in this league. Um, But, yeah, I'm not too worried about that. That was, uh, yeah, that was the question, too. Sorry there, Bump, that would you sign him to a long contract? I remember this offseason, all the discussion about, okay, what's the length of contract he's going to sign? Because coming into a 30-year, age 30 season, and we saw these 10, 11, 12-year contracts getting handed out to all these shortstops, and then Aaron Judge, okay, you're going to have him until he's 40 on your team, pay him a ton. So that was definitely the big uh, selling point, and the nine-year gets him right up till he's about 40. Nine-year deal he signed in the offseason. Yeah, that sounds about right. He'll be be DH, no longer in the outfield. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. All right, Otani was a starting pitcher last night and goes four 
five. I don't read that. I, four for five. Four yeah. for five. Thank you. I, that, Hit a double shot. I, it was the, my uh, shorthand. I typed yeah, out there. It's all good. Uh, go ahead and read the read the timeline. So there. Shohei Otani and <laughs> they the Angels actually won. So you can't make the joke of like. We have a visitor to the studio here. Oh, we we can't make the joke of the uh, the uh, tungsten armo Doyle that Otani sets a record. Yet the Angels lose. They did win, but he was the starting pitcher last night, and also at the plate goes four for five, finishes mm. a double shy of the cycle, hit like a four hundred and fifty four foot home run. Just things that they've never seen before in Camden Yards. So the fact that he can go out there, be a starting pitcher, and just rake as well. I mean, this man, he is truly. A superstar. He's going to go down as the greatest of all time. He keeps this up. Yeah, to do this of all time. Two ways in the modern era of baseball, where everything's so specialized, and you're either a pitcher, you're either you know uh, a DH or a batter, and any of that stuff. Uh, it's just uh, it's wild that he can do this. What are the chances that the the Mariners make a a good run at Otani? That's what everyone wants. So like, look, you didn't do anything this offseason or nothing that people people felt was enough to uh, help these guys take the next step when it comes to the Mariners, but Otani. Uh, how serious do you think the Mariners would be in going after him? They'll make a run, and I think every team in baseball will make a run. It's just what is his level of contender that he wants to go to? What's his baseline minimum salary? But the thought and, and the hope, I know this offseason, uh, a lot of people hope that because the Mariners didn't make that big spend, they didn't get uh, a huge superstar this offseason, that they were saving up for Shohei Otani. Because this sweepstakes has been known about for a while. And because they were so close the first time around, perhaps they are waiting, making that run and trying to get in on the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. Oh, I hope so. Hope so. Last one. Rangers lost to the Braves 12-0 last night despite getting 10 hits. But they still have the third best record in the American League at 25-16. and 12-0? Yeah, and, and they got, got 10, 10 hits. hits. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> First of all, on? I saw the score. I was like, okay, wow. The the Braves kind of smacked the Rangers. And then we'll click into the box score. 10 hits. They left 11 on base. Uh, the Rangers finally lost. They had been on a tear lately. They won that series against the Mariners. Then they took three of four against Oakland. So that kind of helped boost their record. But it looks like the Rangers are going to be the team to beat in the division. And I think I'm comfortable saying that now over 40 games into the season. That 25-16 and 16 record, yeah, that's third best in the American League. You have the Rays, you have the Orioles, and the Rangers. So it's not the big bad Astros right now. It's the Rangers who are sitting there nine games above 500 and are uh, sitting atop the AL West, just a game above Houston, a game and a half above the Angels, and two games uh, above Seattle right now. But right now they look good. You know what helped them? They spent some money this offseason. They did. Spent some money! Well, the last the last two offseasons as well. Yeah, so if, if they continue to win, I know that's going to be a, a big talking point uh, mm-hmm. down the stretch here. Yep, yes it is. All right, more to do when we get back. This is the dugout. We are going to speak to Manders broadcaster, Gary Hill. Talk to you soon. You're listening to The Dugout, every Tuesday at 1 with Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. This is The Dugout. I'm teamed up with Mike Lefko today, and right now we're joined by Mariners broadcaster Gary Hill. Gary, how we doing? Hey, Mike's. How's it <laughs> going? the mics, yeah. We're doing well. <laughs> Mike's on the mic, Gary. Easy day. I love it. Yeah, that works. That's great. It's great to talk to you guys. Yeah, you too, man. I was I was uh, Twitter stalking you, man, and looking at you know what you've been posting as of late. And uh, 
you posted the longest homers for the Mariners this season. You got Kelnick with 42 at Chicago. You got Julio 454 in Houston. And then obviously both the Cows last night and then Suarez. Who's going to be in the home run derby for the Mariners this year? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer is Julio, right? I mean, Julio. Julio's, his homers are ridiculous. And he is going to go on a home run bench, too. The the underlying numbers are still, the hard hit rate, all that stuff, the barrels, it's all still really good. He's going to go on a home run binge. And I just, his home runs are majestic. They're lovely. They're just lovely. I love watching Julio hit homers. That's that's the answer. They do they do have some guys that can tank, though. There's no doubt. And Teoscar's in that mix as well. It's kind of funny that we saw three of them, three of the top five in the same game last night. But I have a feeling that when the weather starts to get a little warmer, which finally, for the first time this season, Mariners have played in some warm weather, we're going to start seeing some big-time tanks. Gary, we... Uh we love to analyze the lineup here, or maybe overanalyze the lineup every single day, <laughs> yeah. because when there's time to talk about it, that's what we do. So sure. when you look out again and see uh, Julio third, Kelnick fourth, and J.P. Crawford batting leadoff, where he has been on a nice little streak since hitting up there uh, after returning from injury, I know the Mariners would like Julio up there in that leadoff spot. How long do you think they stay with Crawford batting leadoff, and when does Julio maybe move back up into that spot? I don't know. I feel like... I guess I look at lineups a little bit different, too. I look at it more in groupings and not necessarily specific spots. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, for me, I just want Julio somewhere at the top. Cause, and I know there's a reason why they moved him out of the leadoff spot. But I just want him towards the front of the lineup in the top three uh, for me. So, uh, I don't know. You keep going with this until it doesn't work, I think, is, is the answer. J.P. Crawford, I think, we're, I think it's safe to say we're seeing the best version of of JP, especially for an extended length of time. I know his April last year was ridiculous, and then there were struggles after that, but he's been really good all season, and this current version of JP fits really well as a leadoff band with his on-base percentage, and to me, that's what you want most out of anything of your leadoff band. Everything else, especially the power that Julio provides in that spot, is great. Uh, don't get me wrong, but if you can get the on-base from that spot and JP's providing it, I think you just roll with it, see what happens. Gary, all wins are created equal unless it has playoff implications. <laughs> so right now, uh, I'm going to say they're all equal. And they got a win last night against the Red Sox, obviously. And then they're going for another one today. I believe we just talked to Shannon. She said they haven't won a series there since like 2014 or something it's been like forever. that. forever. Man, yeah. what what does that do? I, I know Boston isn't the, uh, the team that we're used to seeing as far as um, efficiency and all that stuff. But what does a win, a series win out in Boston do for this club? It'd be phenomenal because, as you mentioned, it has been a house of horrors over time here at this ballpark. And and this is a tough place to play. And this Boston offense has been really good this year. It's been uh, easily a top five offense in baseball this year, and especially in this ballpark. This is a tough ballpark to pitch in on its own, and then you face an offense that's really swinging it. So this was a tough series coming in on a long, tough road trip. Getting 2-3 or in Detroit was critical if you want to have a winning road trip. Uh, if you can get a series win here on top of that, that would be enormous. And then get a game in Atlanta, and there you go. you got your winning road trip. So in my mind, that's what it sets up. And the pitching matchup today is great. Uh, you love with Castillo on the mound, and Pavetta has struggled. So that's a matchup that I'm looking at. Man, if they can get this one and house money going into tomorrow, but it's just, it's been hard to get serious here. And on paper, 
You never know how it plays out because you can get Fenwayed for sure. But on paper, it looks really good tonight. So going off that, Gary, which was more impressive to you yesterday? George Kirby oh. starts and Boston oh. gets held to one run or the <laughs> 10 runs the Mariners yes. put up? Yes, this is such a good question. I thought about this a lot after the ball game because especially in the context of the Mariners this season, didn't it feel just great to watch them put 10 runs on the board mm. and hit some massive home runs and be like, there it is. That's the offense. Because in my mind, that's them when they're at their best. Not that they're getting 10 runs every game, don't get me wrong, but they're a team that has mashers. And when they're at their best, they're going to slug. They're going to hit a two-run home run here, uh, a three-run home run there, and that's how they're going to score consistently. So from that perspective, it's like this is it. Although I think the most impre- to answer your question, I think most impressive when you can come into Fenway uh, against a team that's top five offensively, pitch into the seventh and give up one run. That's it. That's so impressive. I've seen so many games here where things just go off the rails for pitchers and really good pitchers too. It just happens. It can happen in the blink of an eye. We saw it last night where uh, it felt like the Mariners were comfortably ahead, and yet. Red Sox bring the tying run to the plate. One swing can change it, and we've seen one swing change things in this ballpark so often. So I think Kirby, and Kirby has been sensational. Truly one of the best pitchers in baseball. That's what he's been this year. He's been so good. Gary, you've been to Fenway uh, several times, I would assume. Have you made your way to the outfield and signed the board out there? I've not signed inside the monster. I've been inside the monster. I've not signed. I don't feel like I have the status to sign the monster. I mean, some of the greats of the game have signed inside the monster. That's not me. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just an idiot walking around on the field and whatnot. So I've been inside the monster, which is super cool. Uh, I've explored all over this ballpark, which is great. It is truly one of the great ballparks. Uh, I think one of the great places in the world, but the ballpark's amazing. I'd, I'd say it to everyone who asked. If you ever get a chance, if you're ever making a, a trip out this way, uh, try and plan to get to the ballpark. If the Mariners are playing all the better, but just visit, take the tour, walk around. It is truly a unique and special place. And it's super fun because the, the fans are very passionate. And it's especially fun on a night like last night where they were trying to cheer and get loud and they just couldn't. Well, Gary, <laughs> see, they just I, couldn't. I would have said as one of the greats of the MLB broadcasting world, you should have signed that and maybe labeled, <laughs> it, maybe labeled it as such. But next time, I know you guys will be back there. Uh, with what you mentioned about all the history in Boston, is it still kind of amazing that you can dig up stats like we found last night with you know Cal Raleigh becoming the first to do something in a park that's 112 years old? Yeah. I would assume at this point everything possible has happened at Fenway Park. It's been around for so long. Like, how has everything not happened? And the fact that it <laughs> happened uh, with Cal last night, which is pretty ridiculous. The whole story is so great. And the fact they were both over 430, which is ridiculous, too. I mean, how many guys switch hitters? can go 430 on home runs on both sides of the plate in the same game. And to do it in front of family and friends, uh, he grew up a Red Sox fan. He grew up idolizing Jason Veritek, who was in the dugout at the time he did it. His grandma was here. The the whole thing is so great. And I I just, any time that you make history in this park at this point, it's, it's amazing. It truly is amazing. Think about how many games and how many players... I've gone through this park. And anytime you can say you're the first to do something, it's incredible. 
Yeah, that that's truly amazing. Um, Cal seems to ball out when the family shows up. So let's let's put them some more tickets to these. <laughs> Bring games, them everywhere. Man. Yeah. Bring them everywhere. Hey, Gary, man, we appreciate your time. You have a good one today. Thanks, Mike's. This was fun. All right, that is Gary Hill. We are the Mikes. We, yeah, we haven't even called ourselves that we yet today. Right? Because no one calls me Mike. You know what I mean? And I'm not called yeah, Mike. Call, we're last names. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it makes complete sense. You're right. Gary And Hill. look what we're talking into. The Mikes. Mikes. Mikes on the mic. And you know what? We're going to be on the mic for one more segment of The Dugout. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Hitting's coach, Tony Arnrich. That's coming up next on The Dugout. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. All right, we are live with Tony Honoridge, the hitting coach for our Mariners, man. And I uh, I bet you find some satisfaction when you see the dumper go, you know what, this side of the plate, bomb. Other side of the plate, bomb. What does that do for you as, as one of the coaches when you see that? Well, you just you see all the work these guys put in and – uh, obviously, it's a tough task every night facing big league pitching, and Cal works as hard as anybody, you know. So, seeing him step in and have some success here with his grandma in, t- in town, and you know, hit a homer from each side of the plate with uh, Jason Baratek watching in the other dugout, who he happens uh, Cal—that's Cal's uh, idol they looked up to growing up. So, he did something that uh, Baratek's never done. So, uh, really happy for Cal. He's come so far in the last couple years, and. Um, obviously these guys put, put a lot of work in to, so to see it show up on the field is, uh, obviously very, uh, exciting and, and fun to watch. Yeah. Tony, what have you noticed uh, about Cal since you saw him in the minors? And then even last season when you guys had to send him down and he came back and he has really seemed like it's clicked for him offensively. Yeah. It, I think just, you know, he's finally gotten to a place where he can slow the game down a little bit. Um, making that jump to the big leagues is not easy. Uh, and he got exposed a little bit. And the one thing that Cal's really good at doing though, is, uh, we, we talk about like, keep going. And, and the, what that means is like, learn from everything that happens, whether it's good, bad, like let's continue to learn about, you know, who he is as a player, what he does well, uh, where his deficiencies are that he needs to work at. And I think just his overall outlook on his approach and what he's doing at the plate has simplified, and I, I think, you know, just he's kind of slowed everything down and realized that he doesn't have to do more uh, to get the ball out of the yard and hit for some uh, power, and he just kind of feels like, okay, if I can just slow it down and touch it, good things will happen. Tony, obviously we are the ones who uh, overreact when things are going as planned, or what we think is as planned, and uh, <laughs> there have been some days where the offense just hasn't struggled. As a coach and as a ball club, how do you guys approach that? You know, For us, we react every single day. I would assume your approach is a bit more calculated. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things with this game is, is it's a 162-game season. You're going to have ebbs and flows, um, and, and you have to be able to stay consistent with uh, your preparation, uh, and, and especially as a coach, I think one of the things that, you know, we, tr- we try to do as best we can, you got to be the same guy every day. You can't be reactive. Um, obviously we're going to learn from things that are happening on the field and we, we address them and these guys work their butts off every day. Uh, and we're, we're addressing them, but it's not a, you know, we can't freak out. If we freak out, it, you're going to lose the player. And part of it is just kind of understanding the grind of the game and, uh, you know, the game can treat you really well sometimes. And other times you're lining out uh, every every three or four bats. And um, it's just managing that, I think, is the key. And being able to not get, you know, too high when things are going good and too low when things are going bad and stay consistent with the work and know that in the end, um, 
you're hopefully going to like what you see. Hey, Tony, uh, a hitting coach is something where, I mean, I think we all know kind of what you do, but maybe not all the things that you guys do. So during the course of the game, how much uh, are you guys kind of working with batters or do you just kind of have to let them take the approach they went in with and then maybe after the game point something out to them? Or there are, are there a lot of kind of in-game adjustments you can make? There, there's definitely um, a lot of in-game adjustments that happen. Um, you know, one of the things is, is learning each player and what they like and what they need and, and just holding them kind of accountable to what you know is the best version of them. So if somebody you know, starts talking about mechanics and gaming, you know that that's never a good thing for them. Just being able to say, hey, man, let's, we got to get away from that. Like, let's focus on what we're trying to do at the plate, what pitch you're trying to hit, where you're trying to hit it. And, you know, most of the time we're just trying to give them the best information we can on how to attack the pitcher that's out there. Uh, obviously, pregame we, we go over the starter, but in-game when they bring in uh, relievers, we, we have our info and, and we, we kind of talk it through with each guy, like, here here's what he has. This is a suggestion. What do you got? How do you feel? What are you thinking? And um, just get them to simplify their approach, and then and then help them commit to that. You know, and give them reminders of what it what uh, it takes for them to commit and and the things that they do well. Tony, I hit 200 in high school because I could not hit a, a curveball. Like, that thing wasn't on a rope. <laughs> I was not touching it. Um, and you know, I remember my coaches uh, trying to tweak things in the middle of the season and after the season, and I, and I just couldn't get it down. Um, obviously, these guys are a lot more talented than the average high school player. But when a guy is going through a slump, um, and and he's a veteran type of guy, a guy who's proven that he can do this, um, how much tweaking is it, or is it just trying to get back to who he was in the past? I think it's a combo. I mean, it depends on the player, obviously, but I think if you're tweaking something small, that's maybe, you know, how they set up, where they start with their hands, that's okay. Uh, but if you start talking about, you know, the the middle of your swing and things that are happening, uh, it, it can get, you know, you can go down a tough road with that and get them focused on things that really aren't going to help them at 7 o'clock. Um, so the biggest thing is just trying to help them clear their mind, um, focus on the right things. And, and yeah, there are little tweaks here and there. And, and hopefully, you know, just through the years that we've been with these guys, you, you kind of learn, okay, this looks a little off in, in the way he's setting up or whatever it is, small adjustment there. But then it's all about, you know, when guys are going good, they're, they're not, they're not thinking a bunch about their swing. They're, they're thinking about what they're trying to do against the pitcher and they're very confident. And so trying to get them back into what do you do well? Let's continue to do that well. We'll address the things that maybe you're struggling with. If you're struggling with breaking ball, let's hit it more. You know, in, in pregame practice, uh, there's a lot that goes on in the tunnel. Um, you know, beneath the stadium, where guys are working on not only things they do well, but also things that maybe they can improve at. And but at the end of the day, you know, our job is to help them focus on the right things when they get to the plate, and that's got to be and what they're trying to do with a certain pitch and what they're looking for and really help them commit to that. So that's the biggest thing. Hey, Tony, uh, something I was curious about for you guys as coaches, in spring training, did the pitch clock make a big difference for you guys? You should tell the batters, hey, you can't do this. You can't do the routine, the pre-pitch mannerisms that some like to do, or was it kind of uh, each batter figured it out on their own? Uh, I mean, it was more of a, hey, just a heads up, this is happening. Uh, There's nothing that you or I can do about it, so we need to learn how to manage it. Um, And some guys that were in the minor leagues prior, uh, you know, you look at Caballero, the guy knows how to manage the clock with the best of them. And, you know, I think some guys get sped up, but I think it also helps other guys just because they don't have enough time to kind of overthink. It's like, man, I got to go. Let's go. Where's the ball? Okay, hit it. Uh, And so I think it's a combo of, 
you know, individually what what each guy does and how he manages it. And, and you know, we were warned that they said, hey, it took about a month in the minor leagues last year for guys to get used to it, and the violations were very minimal. And I kind of, you know, I think that's what we're seeing now. Guys are used to it now. There's obviously some uh, violations here or there, but they're learning to manage it. And, again, some guys, I think it helps them, and, and other guys need to really, you know, figure out how to breathe and, and get control of themselves and get back in the box within that 15 seconds. Tony, I wish I had you as my hitting coach in high school, but uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate your time, man. Uh, good luck on this road trip, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, sir. I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, let's just keep this rolling and keep going. Hey, that was a dugout with me, Michael Bumpus, and my man, Mike Lefko. Coming up next, you got Wyman and Bob and the Mariners pregame show at 3 o'clock. You guys stay tuned.